horse appreciated it to, to 1.1. In 18 months, you know, I got a 300% return on the asset. Yeah, it was pretty good. Honestly, so you know, but, but, <laughs> That's all right. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. When I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview, dive deeper, and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, it's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation, and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies, and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations, and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Welcome to the Passive Wealth Principles. I'm your host, Jake Harris. Today, I have Rob DeBrock. He is coming in hot off of vacation. Actually, I don't know if he was vacation. Maybe I just saw that on his Instagram page. But he talks about self-storage. He talks about getting involved into it, how we transition from software, software development, then some sales components to then getting in. And he thought he wanted to start buying some apartments and then fortune would favor him as he took action and actually pivoted and got into self-storage. How he took a facility from $370,000 purchase price to valued over $1.1 million in 18 months with some really, really simple strategies and tactics that I think anybody can use and apply to a lot of businesses. So jump into this episode and wait until you tell or you hear about his number one strategy. You're going to be blown away. It is super simple, but it makes the biggest difference in self-storage management. Into this episode, Rob DeBrock with Passive Wealth Principles. I'm super stoked today, Rob. Dude, I am excited to have you on the show. Um, it's been, I want to say it's almost three years, two yeah. years, a couple years, yeah, I think few so. years, something like that, since we initially connected up. And so I'm excited. Uh, one, because of the, the growth that I've seen you've been on, like you've... I don't know, maybe maybe that's just an outsider's perspective, but I've seen you like taking leaps and bounds of, of growth and unlocking like next levels of Rob 2.0 and 3.0 and traveling the world and doing some of these epic things. So I'm excited to dive into your conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to go through it. Why don't we do this? And so for the three people that don't know who you are, uh, well, maybe there's more than those three people, but like, let's dive into your backstory, like dive into, give us a bio where you kind of started and take, take a few minutes to, to dive into that. Uh, I found that people, um, get some relevance on where and where you've come from leading up to, we can, some of your investment strategies today. 
Yeah. So um, I was born in California. We kind of hopped around a little bit as a kid. We landed in Kansas uh, in high school. So I've been here for 23 years. Um, I started my career off actually doing like credit and collections, which is, is funny. It's come around full circle with the storage business. Um, but then I moved, I did some sales and marketing role, did a little bit of traveling for that. And I landed at a, a software development company doing commercial real estate software. So uh, we were a primary committed competitor to CoStar. Um, and then eventually that company was shut down. So um, I, I then I went into a, a fintech company and I was completely miserable. Um, so my role was a product manager. And so I would write like user stories and work with software developers. I wasn't an actual coder, um, but to, to put the requirements of the software together, um, it just like the commercial software company prior was a really fun culture. Um, we worked uh, with teams uh, like in Latin America and a couple of teams in India and Canada and then some stateside workers. So I got like some really good experience working with uh, other people remotely using things like Zoom. I think it was Google Teams at the time, um, but th that was a real fun experience. So then lose the job, had like a seven month gap, bummed out, rock bottom depression. My kids are like just, um, just about a year old. It was actually before their first birthday. And so I had this like really low point and I thought, man, like maybe I should get my real estate license because all these jobs aren't hitting. I'm tanking interviews. But it was like this carrot kept moving out three weeks. Oh, have an interview in a week and a half, two weeks. Okay, well then I'll start. And it's just month, 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 month. Um, a buddy of mine worked for a company, provided an introduction, but he said, he's like, I don't know that you're gonna like the culture. It's much different than what you're used to. So he was right. So I started that job in uh, July. In the fall, um, I knew that hey, this isn't what I this isn't what I'm gonna do forever. Um, what are my options? So I was listening to podcasts like Bigger Pockets, and I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I actually read um, a book by Dave Lindahl, uh, Multifamily Millions, and that gave me the idea on like apartment investing. And I thought, hey, that's the what I'm gonna do. But how am I gonna get the money for apartment investing? Right. So I'm like, well, let's get, I'm gonna get my real estate license. So it was like in 2018 end of 2018, got my real estate license and spent a lot of time cold calling FISBOs and expireds and not getting any traction. Um, really spun my wheels for almost a year uh, before anything hit. Um, I had a, you know, just still was consuming a lot of like podcast content, reading books. Um, and then I, I ended up doing a fix and flip. Um, and then people started taking me serious on the realtor side. And this is still like all part time. Um, so that's through 19 into 20. Um, so then, yeah, at the end of 19, I knew, okay, well, the, the, I did like, I got really lucky with this fix and flip. I was too busy to do any of the work myself, even though I'm capable. So I did the right way, hired everything out, did really well. It was a lot of luck, timing, market, you know, bought in the fall, things were kind of slowing down, sold it, um, in early 2020, right before COVID. Um, but I start and then I had some money. So I'm like, well, I, I had like 70 grand and I'm like, I'm going to look for an apartment complex, see if I can make something happen. So I met a guy uh, named Jason and uh, actually he owns a storage facility I had my camper at. Um, and he said, oh, you want apartments? If you don't mind investing like three hours away. I have five apartment complexes. I'll sell you, but I'll only do one per year to avoid taxes, right? Or avoid a, a tax hit all at once. So I went down, toured the apartments. He was really honest with that business. And he just, like, he had 400 doors at the time that he accumulated over 14 years. So um, he was extremely honest about 
just like how he had he he was profitable because he was doing all the work. He had like a a maintenance guy, full time maintenance guy, but everything was rigged together. Like he he just so he presented like a twelve cap or something, just insane. The numbers were great, but it's like I don't know how you're going to be profitable um, with a property management company. You know, a plumber's going to come out with a two hundred dollar call. It's like we just show up, fix the thing, and move on um, because we're we operate. So. Um, at the end of that tour session, uh, I asked him, well, it, why are you selling all this? Like, this is my dream is to own like all these apartments. And he said, well, I built a storage facility locally here in town. And that one up there that you're storing your camper at um, is my next project. I'm just going all in. I'm, I'm getting rid of all my residential. And uh, he talked a little bit um, about like landlord tenant laws and how he was always in court and he's just frustrated. And so the drive back, I had a buddy with me and he's like, well, so what did you think of that? And I'm like, uh, I think he's right. I probably am not going to be profitable with those. And you know, that guy that looked like he was on drugs, handing him like half the rent with cash. I'm like, I can't, I can't be that like there <laughs> doing that. And so, um, I go, you know, I might look into storage. So that, that was kind of the, the, the segue into like, I, I just, I wanted to get into something and I was, I was caught up with the thought of like mailbox money, passive money. Let's just create this passive income. I wanted to like kind of insulate myself from that experience I had earlier where I lost my job in, you know, seven months of, of like draining my 401k and running up credit cards and being too proud to ask for help. Just like, I wanted to avoid that really, really crappy period of of time again, right? So um, I don't know. It's storage and multifamily is anything but passive if you're if you're operating it. But um, but that that's kind of what got me chasing something other than like the commission only job or um, you know just getting another trying to find another W two. So um, that that's what got me interested in storage. So I don't know if you want me to. I just kind of yeah. Sort of no, ranting, that is a great. Rambling. Yeah, that's a great kind of uh, introduction. And I, I love that you kind of walked through, you know, because I, I know you did a little bit of software. I knew that you did kind of got your real estate license, but it was like, actually, how did it connect to right. uh, self-storage and, and storage? So um, I'd love you to kind of like dive into doing that first storage deal that you did, because I, yeah. I think it's very relatable to a lot of people, especially on, on this podcast is like, that's, you know, of course there's $20 million, $30 million, you know, uh, storage right. deals that you can do out there. But, and, uh, knowing a little bit of your backstory, you didn't start with those, but like, so talk right. me through like the first, okay, now it's a nugget of information. Maybe I want to do story. And then, so let's talk about your actual first deal that you got in, in, um, in your portfolio. Yeah, so the, the first deal that I got in storage actually started with a website I created for a like a benefit auction. Uh, there was a, a gentleman who uh, had brain cancer, had some kids like about my kid's age. Uh, he was employed by a friend of mine and they were trying to raise money to support his family while he's going through these treatments. And um, so I had done websites on the side before as like just a side hustle. And when I was uh, in between jobs for that seven months, I was like selling websites to people. So just like quick WordPress sites. Um, so I whipped something up really quick and I met um, the like the organizer for that benefit auction um, ended up being a realtor. And when I got into storage, I did the whole like just talk to people, tell tell people what you're buying. And I was already doing that with the fix and flips. And hey, I'm a realtor. So it was just natural. Like when somebody posted, hey, don't forget about me. I'm a realtor. And, 
you know, Lynn County, Kansas, um, that I reached out. I said, hey, if you ever come across any storage units, I've started to focus on finding one of those. So she called, this is months later, she calls me and says, hey, are you still looking for storage units? I have an owner uh, who's interested in selling some here in Pleasanton, Kansas. So uh, I said, sure, but I'm on the road. I was on my way to Moab, Utah. Uh, we were doing some uh, UTV riding. And I said, hey, when I come back, um, can I take a look? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, that day, she actually listed the, the units. And so I came back. She had emailed me all the financials. And like I thought I was missing something because they were pretty good. Like The expenses were out of this world for, for this uh, facility. And I think it was just because it was ran like every other mom-and-pop facility. So I brought a friend down that I know is like really good at poking holes in things because I'm more of like the optimist, the dreamer. Hey, this can be really great. And I know I need somebody at some point to say, hey, dude, like this is it's a lot of money. This, this is a bad deal. Like it, help me figure out what's bad about this because all the numbers like textbook returns um, if you ignored what her expenses were. Well, I'm not paying for health insurance on the, on the books for the property. There was just like some big expenses. Like, um, so I put an offer together and she pings me back and says, oh, hey, we're actually already under contract. We've been under contract since like two days after the listing. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Like, I, I, missed, I missed the deal of the century, right? Um, so I said, hey, if something happens, I'd love to put in a backup offer. She said, well, you and three other people. So um, the, long story short, the deal fell apart. I got it. I got a great, I think I got a great deal on it. So I paid uh, $372,000 for it. Um, and at the time, the gross monthly income was uh, $6,000, 131 unit facility, about 21,000 square feet. And it came with an RV park, like a, a 14 pad RV park. And at the time, there was like one person staying long term at the RV park. Um, but like currently, so we're around 6,000 a month. And uh, what is that? 72, I mean, it was less than that. Like that, that would be rent roll is 6,000, but there were major collection issues. So um, gosh, 4,500 maybe if, if, if we're lucky. Um, there were 26 units that were just full of trash, like eyeball level trash or abandoned stuff. You know, it's a mix of good and bad. Um, you know, the first unit I went in actually uh, had a wildebeest um, taxidermy mount. So I still have it. At the at the house, that's the only thing I've ever taken from a storage unit. Was like it's like oh my gosh, this is a trash out unit, and there's a wildebeest in here. So, um, but uh, I mean, I cleaned out a few of the units, but it was just too much. I actually have uh, family members that we which they go and buy storage units. Um, they live in another town, but this was big enough for them to come and and take care of for me. But we kind of traded out. It's like hey, you can keep the tr the treasures, but get a dumpster and we can, and, and throw the trash away too. So they kind of, um, we made a deal, they disposed of that and it was, a, it was a good trade out. So we cleaned those up, I mean, and, and rented them up. We're doing, so we started rent roll. So the not actual collections was like 6,000 a month. We're doing 12, five, I think was that last month. So, um, double in revenue. Um, let's see. So I bought that July 15th, 2020 in February, 2022. So about 18 months later, it appraised for 1.1 million. So 372,000, I didn't have it appraised at that time. Um, but yeah, I purchased it at 372 and force appreciated it to, to 1.1. So that, yeah, that, that was good. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I was like, so in 18 months, you know, I got a, uh, you know, call it almost a 300% return on the asset. Yeah, it was pretty good. So. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, uh, seems like a nice guy. But uh, that, that was enough to get me fired up and get the snowball started. Yeah, that, dude, that, that is awesome. So I love, and there's, there's something that I wanted to kind of focus on was you took action by sharing with other people what you are looking or interested in. Right. Yep. And, you know, um, I think that is such a critical, you know, piece. Um, a lot of people that I, I work with that I coach or, you know, bring and get interaction with is, I don't know if you've heard this and other people have, you know, interacted with you. They're like, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for a good deal. You know, I don't know if you heard that. And I was like, <laughs> people are like, Hey, yeah. I'm looking to invest. I'm looking for a good deal. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, what does a good deal mean to you? You know? Right. And like, that's a very, very broad term, you know? And then be like, Oh, I'm looking for self storage. Okay. Well, at least we've narrowed down to an asset class. You know, right. I'm looking for mon pa operated in this metro area. Okay. Right. Now all of a sudden, like the more specificity that you can get to what you're actually looking for, then it also really, really clues people in on how they can help you. Because oh, I was like, sure. if I just said, hey, Rob, I, I want a good deal. You'd be like, yeah, okay, you're not actually going to give me anything or it would be a very big, tremendous waste of time. You'd be sending over like, I don't know, is that a deal? Is that a deal? Like, I don't know what it is. But then if you knew, like, I'm looking for self-storage. I'm looking for a beach, you know, property, you know, on the ocean that's got great surf and Costa Rica or Nicaragua, you know, right. here's the criteria of what I want to do. And then someone happens to send that to you. You'd be like, I know, hold on, let me send that to you. And right. so that, I mean, is so, so critical for so many people. Start so, with where and what you want. Yeah. And so, and it goes, it goes a little further, right? So the real estate's a people business. And so good things kind of, the good things come when you're doing things, not expecting them to hit you in the, in the face. And, um, uh, a good friend of mine said, Hey, the, the part of the story that is important is like, Hey, you help somebody without expecting anybody, anything in return. And look what comes back. And like every time you do that, just see that pattern. It just keeps coming back. And um, so another th like, let's see. So like in these uh, like real estate investing communities, like that's kind of where I started was a local um, bridge real estate investing meetup and going and meeting people and and trying to help them because I kind of was trying to find my place in the mix. Right. Um, but uh, there's other people that are doing bigger things that if you're there and you're a genuine person. And like, so my friend, Jason, he's a good friend. Now I just met him through that storage interaction and he toured me his apartments and I thanked him for being so honest and nah, I'm not really interested in your, your, uh, uh, multifamily, but by the way, I just bought storage. I'm in storage now. And he's like, Oh, cool. And, and let's go get some drinks. And so like we go to dinner still, uh, but he handed me a deal. So my like my uh, next deal was actually a deal he handed me because it's too small. He's over building, like he's building a $30 million uh, contractor garage complex right now. He just built another, uh, like he has a, an awesome boat and RV storage that he was working on at the time. It's like worth 12 to $15 million. So depending on it, who you ask and where cap rates are, but um, that, so he handed me a great deal, like just a, a contact. 
So that that's something also that I think people getting started, it's like talk to people, be genuine. I think where a lot of people get tripped up, actually I have a, I have a relationship with a, a seller and I made a competitive offer. There are a handful of us bidding on a property and I didn't win. I was like second in line, but then their property ended up getting wholesale. And the person who bought it actually said, oh, well, uh, actually I'm originally from this area and gosh, I'd love to have a storage in my hometown. And then it ended up on Facebook and they called me saying, is this normal? I said, no, it's not. But that's why you have to vet out your buyers. And so anyway, it's, yeah, I don't know where kind of where I went with that, but it's just like, that's the frustrating part is like, it, you can separate yourself by just being legitimate, honest, straightforward. If you're going to wholesale, say, hey, I can give you, I think I can get more than the amount that you want, wholesale it. But um, that's kind of a weird gray area right now. And, and I know, talked to a couple different sellers that have felt really burnt just because like they thought they had a genuine connection when they met somebody and then it was like complete flop. And like Warren Buffett has a, a quote, I'm gonna botch the actual quote, but it's like, takes a lifetime to build a reputation and five minutes to lose it. And it's it's so true. So like in this business, it's it's just, I can look at every one of my deals and identify where hum, genuine human connection played a role in getting that fantastic deal. And my wife says it simply like when people ask, well, how does Rob get these deals? Oh, he's just like lucky. And I'm like, well, you have to put yourself in a place to get lucky. <laughs> and I do feel lucky, but it's just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really, it all comes back to human connection being genuine and well, I think it's it's the thing is the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah. And so exactly. I don't feel like said. I work that hard anymore. <laughs> like that's <laughs> true. And so, but it was like, but the thing is, is like you showed up at one of these meetups. Yeah. You took the time to meet with your friend, Jason, you went and toured his properties and you did those other things. So those are all work. Those are effort. Those are. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Building relationships. It, um, uh, I don't know about about you, but uh, things with my wife, uh, uh, my relationship with every person in my life is also work is like you still have to work towards those things and even building relationships. Right. And so it may not be the traditional sense of like I went in and, you know, built a website, but you like you interacted and connected with that person and built that yeah. relationship. <laughs> and by building that creates this, these opportunities. And here's one of the other big things that talked about in the past or put together is that the universe was designed for you, for your benefit. And so when you do take those actions and then start creating these things, it's like all of a sudden the the stars align, God comes in and aligns you towards the purpose is like, I'm now looking for self-storage units. And I go out and I talk to people on the street and I've had too yeah. many of these serendipitous kind of components sitting down on a park bench in some city that the person sits down, I have a conversation and then I tell them X, Y, and Z. And then they're like, I happen to know that person. I'm like, no way. Or like, I got a deal yeah. for you. And you're like, no way. <laughs> that is yeah. the, the, the reality is that there's something bigger working out there. And I know some people it's the secret or it's all these other things, but it was like, in my experience, and you and a lot of other people, by taking action, you create these opportunities. You create this luck. And that's what I say, the, the flippant statement, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Well, it's like, yeah, 
doing something. It's like, nobody's going to show up on your door, beat down your door. Are you looking for a self storage unit? Had you never, you know, done that, but it was like, when you start doing those now, all of a sudden, I think you're on to the next phase theoretically, right. you know, maybe the 2.0 or 3.0 version of, of yourself. And so I want to talk about like how you're now able to buy back more of your time. What are oh, some yeah. of the things <laughs> that you have been able to do now that you've kind of grown your portfolio a little bit? How have you transitioned that? What are you doing? What are the steps, the systems, the mechanisms that help you get from, you know, July of 2020, August, so, you know, a 2023, a few year time period, not a very long time. What right. have you done in that time period to level up your own, you know, life? Rob, yeah. 2.3.0 version of you. Right. So it's, it's, is uh, let's see, I think. So the, the next step for me was hiring, like making the first hire. And I think I probably did that, you know, two years late or something. But um, I was actually, I was challenged by uh, another GoBundance guy, uh, Dave Homiak. And I think you were sitting at the table, we're going through one sheets. And my challenge was to hire somebody to stop so that I could stop answering the phones. And that was like step one. So I think you and I met 2021, like probably February-ish um, at Park City. And, and Dave challenged me, said, I'm going to hold you accountable. He put something in his calendar. And in July, like said, when can you get this done by and it was like July 1st, I'll hire somebody July 1st. And um, he called me, it was actually like the 6th or so. I said, hey, Rob, it's David Homiak. Uh, have you hired somebody so that you're not answering the phones? And he and I hadn't talked in the interim. I go, oh, crap, I didn't. <laughs> this dude's actually calling me out. He's like, okay, so what do you need to do? Right? I'm like, well, maybe my wife can. And my wife's like kind of standing over to the side. I think I remember I was barbecuing uh, some hamburgers or something. And he's like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and, and it, and it would have been right. Because the energy I'm trying to like push out would end up just boomeranging back to me if it's still in the house. So um, I think by August, I ended up. Um, so actually August, we went to Hawaii and I had somebody lined up, uh, a friend of a friend's wife, and um, so okay, after I get back from Hawaii, we'll get you trained up. So um, I went to Hawaii, and it was like I wasn't present. It's like like the time zone difference from Central, and I forget how many hours, four or something like that, um, to Hawaii. So like I'd wake up at like a normal time in Hawaii, and I'd have seven missed calls. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm dropping the ball. I wanted to be a real estate investor. This is my biggest, this should be my biggest priority is making sure I take care of my assets. Like I'm, I'm responsible for this. This is my job. So I start in this like um, stressed out state and I just couldn't turn it off. I mean, it was, it was miserable. Um, we had fun on the trip, but like waking up every morning and being like, oh my gosh, I need to figure out which of these people do I need to call back? That was like the moment for me that it like just clicked. Like I have, I have to do all the stuff I've been reading about. I read Who Not How which is fantastic. Can't remember at what point I read Who Not How, but it just clicked. Like, what are the things I'm doing in my life that I'm just doing for the man card? Like, I'm really proud of myself. I mowed my lawn. Like, cool. If you enjoy it, great. But if you don't, what's your hourly worth? And we talk about that a lot. But that, so that was, the, that was step one for me. And I think the year prior, um, Brandon Turner at a different event, um, at AJ Osborne had a, a self-storage event. Um, he was talking to me in like kind of hallway thing, like, what are you trying to do? 
um, nice guy and he's like kind of reverse engineering like where do you need to be how you know what's the basically the next hire he's like just hire that person just hire that person and that person and i'm thinking yeah easy for you to say guy you know like i i'm kind of strapped like i quit my job and i'm living off of this cash flow income from my storage facility like i'm not really ready yet so um anyway that that was the the first step was kind of taking that advice a little late and then um yeah that that's been awesome like that that's been um really helped the business and uh, like my life. And it, so that the who not how book kind of allowed, like helped me get out of my own way on the lawn mowing. I was never real proud about house cleaning. That was pretty easy to hire out. Um, and then the latest one is a personal chef, which I thought was going to be crazy money, but it's not like it is affordable because we don't, she buys what she needs for these recipes. She comes once a week. And then it's like you have leftovers and it, it's great. Like the bill, including the Whole Foods bill was like 320 bucks this week. So it's not like some bougie Grant Cardone jet stuff. It's like, what are these little things that, and I think there's like a little like, um, there's buying back your time and buying back your sanity. Like there's some brain damage around food for us with like, hey, we're trying to avoid gluten and dairy and seed oils and this whole laundry list. And we're like, what do we do when you can just say, you know what, I'm going to let this other person figure it out. And we're going to keep the kids happy and focus on them while this thing happens for four hours a week. Big deal. So I completely didn't answer your question. I went on the like, the who not how freaking rant. But um, the two point... Well, I can't hear you. Maybe. Yeah, I, I was like, that's actually kind of what, it, it, you know, I think is so great is you discovered the aha, like I need to, well, say stop trading your, your time, you know, yeah. uh, for, for money, you know, cause you know, to the thing is cause mowing the lawn, right. You're, you, you know, what, what is, I don't know, you know, what do you pay, you know, somebody to go mow your lawn? Is it, you know, a hundred bucks? You know, 200 uh, bucks, you know, this is a fun one, Jake. My lawn is a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> I've got you, like, you have a big property. So yeah. So, but, but actually, so think about this. Um, our lawn takes about eight man hours to mow. And at my last house, it was like, my last house was in a neighborhood. It was a $35 mow job. And that was the first people I hired to mow it. You know, it'd take me an hour and a half. Cause I got this little skinny mower. I've got this big burly mower here and it still would take me eight hours to mow it. So if I can hire a crew of three guys and pay, you know, whatever they charge, 40 bucks a machine hour, is my time worth $40 or, or is it, uh, worth more? So it's actually, even though it's more expensive, it's a better play on the, on the big piece of property. So, and actually the way I'm, I'm trying to look at expenses at an annual, like a PL thing for your life, right? What's my total spend on living here like my property insurance my tax but um the maintenance that just falls in a maintenance bucket and and so for me i'm like well if i want to live like on a, a wooded lot with a ton of mowed grass um then that's just part of the gig and if i didn't want that then then um you know we, we'd live somewhere else so um that's kind of paying for sanity too though <laughs> yeah well and and one of the things is is so that's eight hours uh, yeah. that, you know, on a reoccurring basis. So whether that's eight hours a week or a month or, you know, whatever it's every month, every week, every, you know, oh, yeah. things like that, that you you've been able to unlock and is, 
you know, because parents have property, you know, I have friends that have, you know, exactly done the same exact thing, you know, ah, now I got property and I got fruit trees and I got irrigation. I got that. They become a slave to their property, you know, like all of a sudden they're like, I can't leave, you know, I got to monitor these things. And you'd be like, really what it is, is I think about is designing your life first and then making everything else fit around that. And what happens is if you let your property or those other things, just like your job dictate the remaining time that you have is like, you're going to, your family gets the leftover. You're the things that you truly want, get the leftovers. And it's, it's creating this priority switch is like, no, my time is the most valuable thing. And I think, I don't know if you've read the book, die with zero, but I would say one of those other things is like, it's not just your dollar per hour of today, but maybe what is your maximum earning potential dollar per hour? Are you a thousand dollar an hour, you know, kind of person? You just haven't got there yet. Your day that you're exchanging today is also exchanging a day for your time when guess what? Your kids are going to be older. You might be making more per hour then. Great, you're accumulating more wealth because your expenses are lower because you don't have your kids, but you traded that day. You traded that day away from going camping, from doing, going to Hawaii, doing those other things. And obviously there's a teeter-totter and balancing effect. Like you can't just ignore all of your responsibilities. Yeah, but Um, so taking, so paying for some of the mundane tasks like mowing or the housekeeper or the chef, whatever the thing is or the combination of things you pay for, it allows you to live a perfect life of imbalance and so like I feel like I live a very imbalanced life and I like that. I go on vacation benders like June this month was nuts. I was in Jackson Hole in Alaska and I came back and had a last minute invite to Kentucky to go off-roading and it was epic. But in May, I had I almost every week was gone for 3 days uh, with my dad working on a new storage facility project I bought. It's a heavy value add. We were I, I was on the ground like um, with a drill, drilling out the old latches and we did latch retrofits and we were sweeping it. We did the light work on the like sweeping units and doing make readies and, um, you know, having an excavator guy knock out some of the big trees and prepping things for paint and meeting the painters and, you know, doing some of the stuff that like I really enjoy that. And that's my value add, uh, you know, and and I don't I I. We'll only do that for a season, though. Like, I, I don't want that to be my life for two consecutive years and miss my kids. But, hey, you know what? I found this crazy value add. Dad's going to be gone a little bit more than usual now for six weeks, eight weeks. But we're going to get this thing dialed in, and then we're going to have a season of vacations, right? But meanwhile, if I if I did have that season of imbalance where I'm, on the road and then back and on the road and back and I got to go mow for eight hours or, um, you know, help like vacuum that house, mop, wipe things down. Like that sucks. Like, so I don't get that, that, that in between time. And so really it's just like kind of pushing some of the stuff out of the way. So that's how I choose to justify it. But yeah, dude, I, I, a hundred percent agree with you. And I actually love to dive into, I think that's, you know, for, for the people, you know, listening audience, you know, they're, they're also looking to be investors. They're looking to hear about things that like, you know, self storage stuff. So, 
you know, I'd love for you to break down actually that value add component that you did of that property. You know, okay. um, how are you looking at this? How are you breaking down, you know, what you're looking at doing and maybe kind of walk us through that particular deal that you had that season of, okay. you know, heavy, heavy value add, because I think that's of, of interest. I'm interested. So right. like, you know, how'd you find the deal? Then what did you do? And how is, how does, you know, how'd you move the needle on that particular project? Hey there, fellow wealth builders and life hackers. We have a quick timeout. You know, the path to passive wealth is paved with the right knowledge. And that's why I want to introduce you to something special that I've been working on is called the trade-off. It's a newsletter and it's designed to help you stop trading time for money. I'm all about efficiency. So each article is laser focused and can be read in about four minutes per week. Unless you're a slow reader, then maybe five or six minutes. It's all about crafting the lifestyle you've dreamed of and is packed with insights I wish I'd known years ago. I dissect the systems and the strategies that help you earn with your mind, not your time. I'd love it if you'd go check it out and give me some feedback. You can find it at PassiveWealth.com. That's all one word, PassiveWealth.com and sign up for the newsletter. Now, back to the episode. Right. So I, I'll break down that first one. Um, that's the easiest, but it's repeatable. I have one that's a very similar heavy value add that I'm working on right now. It's at a different scale. So maybe we could talk about a parallel of how it's like, okay, so you buy the thing for 372,000 and you make it worth multiples. It also happens when you pay a million and a half for something, you can make it worth four and a half, five million. So, um, so the first deal that I did, I bought for 372 grand. Uh, they showed a net operating income of 13,000. And so it just, it wasn't very lendable where it needed to be uh, price point wise. The first buyers got spooked with COVID. Um, I had offered, they were asking 360 something. I offered a little bit more to just lock it in and make sure I was the guy that got the deal. Um, that one had a lot of non-paying customers. So I think I mentioned earlier, accounts receivable was was something I did. So I, I mean, I bet banged the phones, tried to get everybody to pay up, made side deals. Um, really, nobody wins if you have to clean out or auction a unit. So it's like, hey, I see your names on this thing. If you can get them to answer the phone. Everybody screens calls or whatever now. So, um, I mean, we use text, ringless voicemails, actually call people, send emails. So, um, yeah, I went through and with that site and tried to clean up the accounting um, and, and get everything to where, hey, if somebody's not paying, we clean the unit out, make it rent ready. But um, so that facility, uh, they were not using a tenant management software. And that's like the critical piece to scaling uh, any of the like self-storage business and probably multifamily or other asset classes, having a good way to manage your tenants. Um, so we implemented a software that had a website. You could do online rentals. Um, that's stuff that we're really accustomed to, like in the big cities, but a lot of the rural self-storage locations are ran off an Excel spreadsheet or a paper ledger. Um, and this was like that. So, um, I mean, I just, I, I kind of kept the expenses where they needed to be. You usually fall at like about 35% expense ratio for storage. Um, but yeah, just leased up. And then, uh, you know, 2020 with COVID, we experienced a really interesting phenomenon in storage. And it was just that every storage facility was filling up and um, I raised rents. And then I, so I've raised rents on existing customers like once a year, which is reasonable. It's kind of industry standard. We have to be disciplined about that. Um, and then churn, I 
I really tried to make sure that when I'm at 100% and then I have a unit come online, um, or let's say somebody moves out, now I have a unit come available on my website. Well, let's say that unit was $85. Actually, for this facility is a great example. The units, the 10 by 20 units were $85. So I'd bump it up to 90, see if I could get 90. Well, somebody else moved out. And then I'd list that one for 95 and I kind of just moved the market up. So now on that same unit in that same market from 2020 to now we're three years later, I'm at $140 per unit. And so anytime somebody moves out, you know, via that churn, they'd get up to that 140. I still have people that are paying $100. They've been with me forever. And I would, I've been doing 10% increases every year and they were paying 60 when I started, but now they're maybe at 100. So I don't go in and, raise everybody all the way to the top. But, you know, I, I'm consistent um, depending on where the rents are. Like some markets have been extremely low. And so I, mean, I think it's been as much as a 40%, but um, really just like the, consi- I, I think the, the trick is like, it's, it's not even a trick. This is a really simple business. Raise your rates consistently to out- slightly outpace inflation. And then um, on your new rentals, if you're able to push the market. So if you're, if you're in a market where there is an oversupply, you can't do that. It, you may have to issue, you know, uh, do promos to get people to move in on a heavy, like I have a heavy lease up now. I'm, you know, kind of at the bottom of the market on pricing and we're offering promos to get people to move in. But once we're full, now we can play with what our street rate is and really get things dialed in. So it's not just buy the thing, double the rents and, know, like have this magic money up here. But um, I, th- I think that trick was pushing the market above where it just like testing it. We're testing at $5 at a time. So that, that was pleasant. And we have one near Wichita. Same thing. We've moved the market. We're getting 150 for that 10 by 20. We were getting 95 when we bought it. And that was shoot, two years ago. So even less time than uh, the Pleasanton one. So um, that one's neat because there are other operators in that town we are like, hey, are you, are you guys full? And like, yeah, we're full. Are you really getting what's on your website? Yeah. And so we've seen other people that were getting 100 bucks move it up. They might still be undercutting us. But um, the other part on um, the first storage deal that, that I did and I I've, I've do on all the storage facilities is I just make sure the phones are answered. If you're in like a rural market, a lot of these smaller storage facilities, they're not answering the phone. So that's a good sign. If I go into a market, it's a town of 8,000, 10,000 people. There's four facilities in the market. I call around. One, I'm secret shopping. But two, I want to see if they answer the phone. If they don't answer the phone, I can do whatever I want with the street price because people who need storage are going to go to the first person who can help them solve their problem. So what does it matter if that other person is charging $75 to their existing customers and they're balance sheet looks a certain way, or I'm charging 150, but I answer the phone and I can actually help you. So that, that is kind of the, the, the two pieces is like really testing the market and making sure that we can solve people's problems by just answering the phone. It's super simple. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it seems so simple, but it's, it's shocking how many people don't even do some of the, the basics. So like when you do that, I mean, you, you talked about heavy value add component. Like what are some of the actual value add pieces that you're looking to do? Because um, I'm assuming there's also 
some functional or physical, I mean, software programs, great. And obviously the more yeah. that you can do that, but like what other kind of things are you doing okay. to the asset? So every single facility gets put on the software. We already covered that. That's kind of a no brainer. You want to make sure that people can find you. So signage, um, make sure people answer the phone. It's all about really reducing the friction of the move-in process for the customer. So um, if I had to have an appointment to unlock a unit, to rent you a unit, and you signed a paper lease when we had met up, what's the likelihood that I'm able to solve your problem when you need it? Or if you call my customer service rep and it's a you know five minute phone conversation and at the end of it, you get a text message with an unlock code and there's a free lock in the unit and you're just ready to move in. Like we have people call in standing in front of the facility, hey, I'd like to rent a unit. And five minutes later, they're in their unit because we give them a combination lock. So um, there is a, so we have the software and then we have these locks. The manufacturer is DaVinci and they have an app that we use that integrates with the software. And then that's, that's the ticket for us uh, or the, the secret sauce that a lot of operators use. And if they don't, they should use them for remote management. It's just being able to control access via this database. That's all it is. It's a glorified Excel spreadsheet with an uh, awesome UI. Each lock has a serial code on it. And so when we have a boots on the ground employee, typically it's a veteran or somebody else who it's just a part-time gig, a few hundred bucks a month. Um, and they'll do like our overlocks and our make readies. So we have them go like once a month, put overlocks and all the non-pays. That's like mid-month. And then as we have people move out, we use Slack, so like our customer service rep or manager, she message them, messages them on Slack and says, hey, unit 29 had a move out. Could you please do a move ready next chance you're on site? So um, from that point, that person will go, they'll sweep out the unit, make sure there's no trash. And then they put a free lock that we give the user or the customer to keep inside the unit, brand new in the package. And then... Um, We'll give them, well, we give them the combo to open their unit. So it's just like, it's, it's easy. Uh, we changed softwares and our new software has like a, it's a one page form that allows tenants to rent from us. So it's, I guess it's streamlined the pro pay, uh, rental process, streamlined the payment process. We want people to set it and forget it. And, you know, like 18 months later go, oh crap. Yeah. I, I remember I have my kayak in storage. I better go back and open it up. Um, but yeah, we, that, so that, that's the value add, I guess, to every location. Now I just bought a facility in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and this one really interesting story. So these daughters inherited it like 10 years ago and they let it run, like completely get run down. Um, they, it got to the point where the note that was on it, which the personal guarantee was their dad, right? He's deceased. So there's nobody to really. Let me, let me like re restart that piece <laughs> of it, Jake. Um, yeah. Okay, so on this other facility, I, I have a recent purchase in Cape Girardeau, uh, Missouri, and I bought it from two daughters who inherited it 10 years prior. They had like a live-in manager who was just kind of going through the motions, uh, doing rentals, processing move-outs, but it had gotten to the point, I think I took over, it's like 30% occupied. Um, it got to the point where it wasn't servicing the note. So in like December last year, they mailed the keys to the bank. But this place hadn't had deferred maintenance for 10 years. So if I talked about software and streamlining the customer experience, 
that's on a facility that looks good and doesn't have paint falling off or trees falling on it or broken doors. So like this one is more of a cap CapEx heavy. Um, we, we paid to have the, the facility painted. We retrofitted like a clunky kind of broken latch system that they had. We've got some roofs to replace. I put security cameras in. Gate was broken. We, we ordered a new gate. So um, they vary, but they're not always... The facilities are not always like CapEx heavy. Um, I'd say like most of them are just, let's get the thing cleaned up. Let's fix the gravel. Let's make sure weeds are sprayed, uh, that kind of thing. More more process and, and just pick the place up and take care of it. Dude, I, I appreciate that. That is, I mean, I think that was super informative. At least, you know, I don't know if anybody else enjoys that, but I was right. like, man, <laughs> I, I love that. That, you know, you know, software, you know, it seems it's not rocket surgery. You know, right. you're like, hey, we're going to, you know, clean up units, make them clean, make it signs that people can see them, make the renting process frictionless, answer the phones. And I mean, like to your point is, so I don't know, half of the mom the, paws don't do any of those things. Right. Answering the phones is the hardest part of that whole equation, right? Because if you have a W-2 job and you're trying to buy your first storage facility, that's what I'm finding is the hardest is that... Now, so there's a Easy Storage Solutions is a software provider and they have a call center, but you know, from cold calling owners, I know that it's like, sometimes it's like 30 rings and then finally you pick up the phone and it's somebody with a thick accent. And it's like, is that a great experience for the customer? Probably not. I probably will have hung up at about ring eight. So that's, I know some guys that have done that or they just let it go to voicemail and then they, pay, they call everybody out, out they call everybody back at five o'clock and you do what you got to do. Like I was working on a fix and flip project and I let every, when I, so I closed on July 15th, 2020, I was doing real to work. I was doing fix and flips. I closed. So I closed on a storage facility the same day I closed on another fix and flip project. And I put all my energy towards working in the business. Cause I just quit my job. I'm like, okay, now I can, I can save money on contractors. I'm going to add a bathroom. This is a great idea. Well, Rob over improves. He's really slow. I'm capable, but I'm slow, right? Like, I'm, I think I spent three weeks of just like an hour here, an hour there, like repairing some wood floor. And so that wasn't a great scenario, but I'm like working on this bathroom and put like sealing up the crawl space and cleaning out an old furnace that was ditched down there and just doing all this dirty work, which is fine. I'm not above it, but I'm not answering the phone for the storage business that I just bought. <laughs> and I'm running it like crap, like the people that we all talk crap about. It's like not answering the phone. So we got done with that fix and flip project. And I started answering the phones and seeing like, oh my gosh, like month over month revenue is like, I jumped a thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. Cause I leased up a few units. I better keep answering the phone here. And then just kept getting better and better and better. So then it was like, okay, that's the number one rule. Answer the freaking phone. So um, I think that's probably more important. Answer the phone, have a way to take a payment. It's probably more important than having a slick website or online rentals. You don't need that. Pick up the damn phone. Um, and this process is repeatable no matter the scale. So the first one I bought was 372 grand. And, you know, I, I said it appraised 18 months later for 1.1 million. I did a cash out refinance and that was awesome. Like that was the first, like, Hey, I listened to all the gurus on bigger pockets. Talk about the Burr method. Well, one, it works in commercial and it's more predictable than residential because you have this really cool little formula with a cap rate. And so you can kind of predict your value. And if you have an appraisal and you continue to 
increase your revenue, you can go, oh, that thing that was 1-1. One, one. Well, if I do these things over the next few years, it's predictable that I'll make that thing worth 1-3 or 1-5. So that's the that's like, that's like the magic on, on commercial in general, not just storage. We just have like a lot of leases, a lot of variety where we can, oh, let's test $5 at a time. And you do that a few hundred times and you know, like across a thousand units, a $5 increase is $5,000 a month. That's crazy. Was that due to a, a valuation on the whole portfolio? So um, I, I was starting to talk about how it's repeatable. Uh, so the 372,000, sorry, this last one was a tangent. <laughs> I did to go on those. But the, so the $372,000 facility that turned into 1-1 because of revenue. So I have one right now I paid 1665 for, 1.665 million for, and that one stabilized should be north of four and a half million. So there's another one where you're saying it's it's a similar trajectory, it's just at a different scale. And I see this with other guys that are doing the same thing as me. It's like, you start with the little one and then, okay, I know how the lending works and hey, I have a down payment or I refied, I got a down payment from my first one and the snowball just continues to go. One of my close friends just bought a facility up the road from me. Uh, I knew the owner, I provided an introduction. He bought a 30 unit for $140,000. It appraised at 210, um, but like he took the, and the, the appraisal value was before his uh, income increase, but when he bought it, it was $1,400 a month. There were some non-payers in there. He got them out, he did a rent increase. Now he's like $2,600 a month. So it, it's, I think his note is under $1,000 on it. So. You can still play small, like in these smaller ones, it's just like buying it right. Buy, like his rents were half the price of me and we're in the same market. So it's like, okay, there's definite upside. You've proven that we can get this level rent on new people. So it's where the bar is going to be. So yeah, I, I, I love what, what you're, you're doing. I love the fact to play, you know, cause you know, you're, you're in Kansas. And so then it's, yep. you know, not that far to, to Missouri. It's not far to right. some of these other markets. And so, um, you know, there's, I don't know, a million, well, maybe not a million, but a lot of small towns yep. across the United States that have mom and pa operators. And, and I think this is a very, very wide open uh, place for people to place some, some money and some capital. We've got a siren going by. Yeah, um, no worries. But it was... You know, I think for someone that's you know looking to invest into something that's not residential, um, this is a component. I mean, maybe you're bullish on office. Maybe you're bullish on you know, in, in multifamily is you know commercial, right. but it's right. like it's you know same thing. You got to go deal with somebody living there. Um, the 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 challenges of that and paying rent and you know self storage is not that. I mean, and right. so, but it's so it's more it's more active in a different way. Right. Yeah. It's maybe less active on some of the CapEx stuff. Very simple. You have a roll up door and a roof and a concrete slab. But it's like it's a lot of little transaction. I do think it's easier to operate remote, like or operate at a distance, uh, than it is to operate from home because you are forced to hire people to to do it. So like that's where like my net, I cast a net in the Midwest. So we talk about buy box. I buy in the Midwest and it's 20,000 square feet and up, or the ability to be above 20,000 square feet with some value add component. Um, every every single deal you look at is different. Some have built in equity day one, and some of them are a long-term player. Some of them, it only works with an expansion, but it's a killer market. So um, 
that's what I like. What I like about it is it's it's something you can you can buy based on the deal, and you're not just well. I have a great team set up in Kansas City, like my market, or and I'm only buying long-term rentals in Kansas City because that's where my handyman is, my plumber is, my whatever. So I only have to set up one team member in that town, and I'm good. So everything else, customer service. It can be handled like in a centralized place. I love that. Dude, I could probably keep talking to you yeah. for hours. I know I got to make sure to, <laughs> to respect your time and, and yeah. geeking out on this. So I got a couple of uh, some rapid fire questions. They don't have to be rapid fire answers. Um, but it was one of the things that I asked, like, what is the one thing that you've spent money on in the last year that has bought back your most time? Oh, the most time would be the lawnmowers. We have an epic large lawn and it's just, I think we talked earlier about, it's like eight hours of mowing. So um, that's that's the most time for sure. Awesome. What is the book you have gifted most to other people? Uh, I gave Die With Zero to the most people. Yeah, and I, I think I'll be giving it even more. So I've, you know, I'm, it might actually be tied with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but um, you know, they hit you a little bit different. So I try to time books, whichever book I, I actually gave Catching Knives Away to two guys. Um, and then I've sent um, Jeremiah Boucher's book uh, to a friend recently. He was recently on your podcast. Um, I try to time it with whatever season they're in. If if I feel like they'll, you know, it's, it's a good time to receive the message. And then the final one is of the audience. What is the ask? How can they help you in some way, shape, or form? If it is uh, a deal, if it is you know raising capital, visiting your website, doing things, and then where can they find you uh, out into the world? Yeah, so the best way to connect with me would be on Instagram. It's just my name, Rob Dubrock. And uh, how guests or the how the audience could help me would be um, if you have any interest in uh, self-storage, you can join uh, one of our two Facebook groups. There's one storage investors and then self-storage deal makers um, yeah, on Facebook. And uh, we're, we're ramping up some content for Storage Academy. We have a, an Instagram uh, for that, but uh, just keep your, your eyes out on the you know, storage investors and self-storage deal makers Facebook pages. And it's just a, a great place to connect. Not, not just don't join on my behalf, but uh, I think we are at this point have 4,300 other investors on the self-storage investors group and uh, other people tend to be helpful, you know, so you just get in a group of people that are trying to do the same thing. Uh, I think what you'll find with like the self-storage community is like it, the mindset is like, it's different than like the local fix and flip or wholesalers where it's cutthroat, you kill what you eat. It's in, in this community, it's like, we're all like, Hey, I have a facility that's 30 miles from you. Well, my, my market is like a three mile radius or five mile radius. So we're not competition. Like I, and so everybody's just awesome and, and trying to, to help each other. And, and even people like in the same market, it's like, Hey, we can, we can all benefit from operating the best we can. And, and, um, uh, that's that's kind of uh, the beauty of that group. So I love it, and I wanted to 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 close out with just uh, some appreciation for you. How grateful I am for you. 
living out. I, I, I see what you're doing. You're sharing out with the self storage people. You're giving insights. I know some of the things that you found some of these deals through like wholesalers and, you know, uh, you know, been able to come in and close on some of these deals and really made a, a difference in some of their lives as far as putting some things out there and living full out like with, with your wife and your kids, your, uh, yeah. the boys. And I just, it's, it's so awesome to see that, uh, see your growth. And even from early 2021 now to mid 23 in the last couple of years, I feel like you've evolved to, you know, a higher, better, um, you know, version of yourself, at least from the outsider's perspective. And so I just want to pre- uh, give you some gratitude, some recognition on, uh, on, kicking ass and taking names and and it's awesome to see that i know there's ebbs and flows of life and it doesn't maybe always feel like that um especially in the commercial real estate world and some of those times but uh keep up keep the good fight you have been doing uh awesome things and it's awesome to see I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.RealEstate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.